0: Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the Preparatory Podcast. My name is Samuel Jordison, and I am joined by my two dashing friends. Uh, You can introduce yourselves.
1: (laughs) Andrew always goes first, and he didn't jump in. You said dashing, so I was waiting for the more dashing of the two of us. Well, I was going to say I was the dashiest of of us all. Yeah, well i'm andrew (laughs) (laughs) i'm jason (laughs) and
0: today we are going to be discussing something from the book of mormon um as usual and no it's not how to turn the fruit from the tree of life into fruit snacks it is mosiah chapter six and seven those would be good fruit snacks
2: be the best fruit snacks
0: there's an analogy in there out of all your crazy analogies, Andrew, you've never made an analogy to fruit snacks, to the fruit oh, of the spirit. All right. All right. Challenge
2: accepted. The, <laughs> the, oh, the end of the end, episode. Oh, the end, end of the episode. By the end of the episode. You okay. better
0: have something. <laughs> I will. I'm quizzing you. Well, we are picking up Mosiah, as I said, chapters six and seven. We are almost to, well, we are in pretty much the, the history portion I don't mean history as in, like, just the wars and stuff, but because there's definitely some preaching going on. There's a lot of preaching going on in this chapter, or these next coming chapters, but this is a lot of the... These are coming from the abridgment uh, that Mormon did, the plates that Mormon abridged, whereas, obviously, the first few books of Nephi and Jacob and Enos, and then the small books there were written firsthand accounts, had a little bit more spiritual advice. Now we're getting into the historical and what we can pull from that, which I've had some good conversations with people lately about what, what do they get from um, these chapters? And uh, there's some good answers that they, they know that you can always pull something from, from what the people were doing and, and try and put the people um, today or their own lives in, in the time machine and say, where, where would I fit in in this situation? What would I need to do and how do our commonalities fit? and, And where can we find our people? That was a long way to say, just relate to him. <laughs> so, uh, does one of you want to say what happens here in chapter six or sum it up? Chapter six
2: is uh, the record of Zenith. Um, so, last time.
0: Did you say Zenith? I said Zenith.
1: Oh, I've always said Zenith.
0: Okay, that sounds cooler. I'll go Zenith.
1: I think I usually say Zenith. Tiebreaker. Yeah. Well, but we're all on the same side now, so uh, it's all Zenith. I think Amanda... <laughs> She was reading this last night, and I think she Beneath. said Zenith, So, you know, you never know. Well, if person all by Neil person Rand had been
0: on this podcast. Ooh, we're gonna have two name controversies because when we get to Abinadi, some people call him uh, uh, Abinadi. Abinadi.
1: Yeah. Ooh, I didn't know people like actually thought that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, somebody had a dream in which they heard his voice or heard his name. Somebody call him or something. I don't remember,
0: but. If you want to defend that side of the coin, you'll have to come on the podcast. Also, share that testimony. We don't, I
2: don't, I don't know it. Yeah. I just have heard it secondhand. So
0: please don't get offended if you only refer to him as Abinadi and we say Abinadi.
2: Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Zenith, uh, last time we talked about the people, the king of the Nephites had sent out this search party for, uh, this, this group that had gone previously and stayed in this other part of the land, and they had found him. They they have records here, and this is the record of Zenith, or Zenith, and he had been taught in the record in the language of the Lamanites, as it, or Nephites, excuse me, uh, as it says in verse 1, they had, he had been in the land of our father's first inheritance, so probably where they landed, and then having been sent as a spy among the Lamanites that I might spy among their forces that our army might come upon them destroy them so they were in conflict with Zenith's people uh, were in conflict with the Lamanites as well so um, the Lamanites were quite the popular enemy at this time they probably weren't looking to be peacemakers uh, with anybody at that time Um, which well, is kind of interesting
0: there's actually a little bit where they are peacemakers and um, yeah just not first, yet the first time they meet him. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. Sorry. Continue.
2: It, well, yeah. Um, but anyway, it's just a record of, of Zenith and, and his people and.
0: And it sets up the story for old King Noah.
2: Yeah, and Abenadi, <laughs> <laughs> Abenadi, uh, yeah, which is a much more popular story that our well-known story.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, this is the, this is the part of the. The history book where the Revolutionary War soldiers, none of them have shoes, and they're just camping out. And then the next chapter is about when they cross the Delaware. Like, no one really talks about this part. They just want to talk about crossing the Delaware on Christmas Eve. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, just jumping into Zenith's record. I found some some really, I felt, important things that you could pull from um, Zenith, Zenith. Now I'm going to say it, and I'm going to read Go back and say it a different way each time. Even if I say it Xena first, then I'll go back and say. It. Um, so the the first thing, like Andrew mentioned, is they're sent out on a on a search party to find, if you remember back, what happened was Nephi is warned in a dream to leave because his brothers are gonna kill him. And he runs away and he brings Sam some of the others, um, Zoram, the righteous people who follow Nephi, go with him. Um, They live for a while um, at a place, a peaceful place. Nephi dies, Jacob lives, you know, there's a, a little bit of some generations that come to pass through there. And then There's a guy by the name of King Mosiah, or Mosiah at that time. Not the same Mosiah we're reading about. But he also flees because the people have become so wicked in that part of the land. And he flees, and then they get to Zarahemla, and uh, they meet the other people, the Mulekites. So then they kind of join forces. And then this Zenith, he says, well, let's go back. Let's find the other people we left, Zenith, or Mosiah left, and see if we can find them. So they go looking for him, and... Like Andrew said, they come upon the Lamanites, and something interesting is Zenith says, uh, I saw that which was good among the Lamanites, them being the Lamanites, and he was desirous that they shouldn't be destroyed, so he wanted to go make peace with them. And the captain, or the, the second in command, we're not really sure, just a strong and mighty man, completely objects to that, so he has Zenith bound and almost killed. But there's enough people that agree with Zenith that they let him go. And then there's this skirmish that breaks out this civil war in this search party. And he says, father fought against father and brother fought against brother. So it's like this, exactly like the American civil, well, I shouldn't say exactly like the American civil war, but in the sense that, you know, you had family members fighting against each other on on what they should do. And the more wicked part of them that want to destroy the Lamanites are killed and Zenith and the rest of the search party go back to Zarahemla and uh, he rounds up some people and says, hey, let's go back. And this is the part that I I pulled from this is that Zenith is writing this record as a as an older guy, and he's obviously got some hindsight, which is 2020, as we know, and he says he was a little overzealous. And uh, you'll see that play out in this chapter because he goes back with his party, now ready to be make peace with the Lamanites. He makes peace with the Lamanites, but the king of the Lamanites really just wants them for the idolatry, uh, not idolatry, um, lazy reasons. What am I looking for? Control. At? Control. Yeah. yeah. And so he accepts them thinking that he can kind of control them. And uh, so Zenith and his people build up the lo- uh, walls. They build up the city. They do a lot of things. And then um, the Lamanites are like, all right, now we want to take what they they had um, even though we covenanted with them. And so they come to war, and Zenith and his people go to war with the Lamanites, and then there's skirmishes. There's a lot of contention. There's a lot of back and forth going on. Zenith and his people win most of the wars, and the king dies. There's a lot of back and forth. And so then his son takes over, and the same thing happens again, just like so often in the Book of Mormon, where it's just back and forth. But this is the part that I wanted to get to, and, and I went over it. In verse 6, he says, I being overzealous. To inherit the land of our fathers. And so, in his hindsight, it's obvious he knew, he was, or knows now that he was, he was going ahead of the cart there. He was the, wait, he was the cart going ahead of the horse. Is it I use that phrase right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, but here's the thing that I can relate this to, or I think about, is that he is going full steam ahead without waiting for the Lord. It's obvious from what we're reading now, at least, that he knows about the promises that God has for his people. He knows the commandments are valuable, and he's able to admit that he used his own decision making to go this way. And the consequences of that is that a lot of blood was spilled, a lot of bad things happened to his people in the form of stuff we're going to read about in the next few chapters. So, anyway, I just thought that was like, not unique, but a good example of, hey, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing for him to go back and look for the land of his father's, but uh, he went before the Lord in that regard. Andrew, your grandpa has a cool way of making decisions that I really like, and you've implemented it as well. Do you want to speak on that? I just kind of toss that up to you without asking you about it. About the doors being what do you pray for. Or you can go somewhere else. I don't care.
2: Yes, Grandpa has this thing where um, he's prayed several times um, when making decisions about uh, about moving or jobs. Um, he's worked several different jobs in several different places. Um, but he just prays that the right doors will be closed and um, that it will happen in a timely manner. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of, of what we pray for usually or, or what I had been praying for in my life. Uh, before he had told me that is that I was like yeah please open the right doors blah 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 they're going to be open you want to have limited opportunities to go in the wrong door and and I think that's where he his thing is and kind of yeah
0: anyway thanks for sharing do you have anything to add about the whole going before the Lord or
2: yeah just well just in that verse that you read from verse um, six it goes back and and it says at the end of that. Um, for we were slow to remember the Lord, our God. And he just goes back and says, um, you know, at the beginning, he says, I was overzealous, blah, 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 blah. And I did things because I was overzealous. And then we suffered for it because we were slow to remember the Lord. And and so he he acknowledges that he was overzealous, but he realizes that the underlying issue in that was that he wasn't remembering God and everything. Um and, and I think we've talked about it before but in the DNC it says against none is God's wrath kindled except for save it be those who confess not his hand in all things and I think this is one of those examples where he wasn't confessing or remembering God in all things and, and they were suffering for it and but yeah, no I, I liked what you said about that just to bring that point around
1: yeah there's kind of a fine line to follow when you're trying to do things for the church or for others and stuff where I think most good works that you do for others is going to be the will of God. But there are certain things that we might come across in our church where it could be a good thing, but not really of God. And it's a fine line to follow. And I don't think, many people really know where the line is unless you really are just waiting on the Lord. And that's something I don't do a whole lot of is just, well, if, if I'm doing a good thing, then, you know, God, God's going to bless me in it. But sometimes things go wrong or, or you might end up in a situation where you like, um, this will probably come out after we talked with Sherm, but like, he gave the example of the the ability to become a night manager There's nothing wrong with that if that was me i would probably take it cuz it's just like well i need more money for my family god wants my family to you know do well so that that's what i do but then he's like well if i couldn't go to church turned it down and then by that i didn't get shot so <laughs> Um, but yeah, an extreme example. It, it is, yeah. but it it's a it's a good one to think about. But sure. I think I
0: think in the the scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants it says it's given to men to do much good. So um and and when I think about this, I've talked to to someone I really respect about something and about decisions we made, and I say, you know, well, his sorry, his point was that sometimes we get over like almost like a kid who's like, goes up to their parent is like, Hey, should I clean my room today? And the parents like, yes. (laughs) Like you shouldn't have to add or like Uh, the kid kid going up like, Hey, should I brush my teeth this morning? And it's like, yes, those are things I expected of you. And to the point of sometimes we try and give ourselves excuses. We talked about this with the beggars and the the handouts. It's like, well, I'm not going to give it to him because the Lord didn't tell me specifically to give to that guy. And who knows what he'll use it for. But, um, in that regard, it's given to men to do much good that uh, or or women to do, you know, um, what they know to be be true. But here we have a clear example of a guy who's like, I really wanted this and it wasn't against the commandments. <laughs> so I went for it and then it just it didn't work out the way
1: he wanted it to. Yeah, that's that's something I'm starting to um, pray for is that my desires will be. God's desires and that way I can just, I'm trying to be more in sync with the Lord and that if I feel like God is telling me to do something, then I'll be able to recognize it easier and stuff like that. Mm
0: -hmm. I just had a blessing um, recently and it kind of came when I started praying for that same discernment and, um, and a lot of what like Andrew he shared that with my, me, what his grandpa does about praying for closed doors. And I started praying for that. And I, I've been needing a job cause I'll be making a move soon. And uh, I just kind of prayed that first that he would shut all the doors that I didn't need to walk through. And then I started praying along that. I said, I need you to shut all the doors, <laughs> but I also really need a job. So I asked that I would find a job that um, I can glorify you in. And a big part of that for me was having Sundays off, having Wednesday nights off. And it, um, but then also, um, missionary work, it's very unusual to find a place that'll give you much time off. Um, uh, most career, they give you like two weeks off to begin. And, uh, I found a job that gave me three weeks off, which I thought was huge. Um, have the weekends off. Um, it's not very pay- high pain at all, but it's, it's something that I could do. And I, I applied to that and they were like the only ones to give me an in-person interview out of like 26 it was closer to 30, probably 30, 31 jobs. And it's like, wow. And I ended up getting the job, um, which I thought was a huge. When I changed my prayer to, to Lord, I want to glorify you. Uh, please shut the other doors. So I'm excited about that opportunity. And probably by the time this is out, I'll have a few weeks under my belt. But um, yeah, I just, I just think that's a cool example of, hey, if you put God first, you'll be blessed. And uh, it was getting disheartening when I was like, all right, job number 26, no reply. <laughs> And, and you could be overzealous, you could take things that, um, I guess, but in that case, God didn't, he didn't allow me to do that, he shut those doors.
2: I think that the job search is a really good example of what we're talking about, being overzealous, because there are a lot of things you can pursue and put energy into um, that, that aren't meant for you, you know. And, and you know that, when, mm-hmm. you said you applied to how many, 28, uh, something like, like that? It like
0: 30 jobs yeah, probably like, total. Yeah, that's, like
2: that's crazy. A, a lot yeah. of jobs and then just no after no or no response after no response. And and it's it's disheartening with with nothing and, and it's coupled with kind of a doubt of should I have done more? Am I not doing enough so that God can't give me j- this job? You know, like that kind of thing. Or at least that's what I felt last year when I was, no, well, this last year when I was looking as well. But it it has to be paired with a, a peace piece and understanding that that God is in charge in, in control in charge in charge <laughs> and and that um, that he he has your back. Uh, I was just recently talking at um, CPRS with a student or two about Matthew. Um, the the book in the new testament (laughs) matthew five sorry not a person uh it it was a person but (laughs) the book um and uh in the chapter where jesus says you know uh how much does god take care of the grass and the grass is going to be in the the oven tomorrow and he knows that god knows that the grass is going to be gone tomorrow and yet he still gives it water and he still gives it nourishment Okay, so how much more is he going to prepare a way for you to thrive and and glorify him? Because he does the same thing for the grass, he does the same thing for the birds, and he always has, you know. And it that um, that peace and understanding comes from from testimonies we've gotten in the past, but um, they I don't know it it's it's really obvious when we read records like this that those things are learned by by not doing them sometimes uh, often. And and we find that in Zenith's case here too.
0: Just cause uh, we're trying to squeeze in a couple chapters. Let's, let's push on to uh, the only other note um, I had, because this is again, a pretty historical account, not much pre all it is is Zenith's regrets. (laughs) Almost like we messed up. (laughs) Like there was some good that came of it, but we messed up. Um, And, and, the note that I had comes from, um, the verses in verse 44 of chapter six through about probably the next 10 verses where it's describing the Lamanites, um, and why they were coming up against the people of, of Zenith and, and they called themselves Nephites. Um, but it's the, the verse 44 really just gets to the heart of the problem. It says, now the Lamanites knew nothing concerning the Lord, neither nor the strength of the Lord. Therefore they depended upon their own strength. Um, But then uh, it kind of gives the reasons for why that is, and it pretty much settles on the fact that Laman and Lemuel um, were the, (laughs) like, Lehi knew, and he tried to teach his sons, and Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael didn't care, or didn't respond to that. And now you're having a whole people, like, generations, like, hundreds, thousands of people who have, almost have the consequence, well, they're facing the consequences of, two brothers, and then the, the sons of Ishmael, um, their disobedience, and it trickled all the way down um, to them today, and I, I just think that's kind of sad that it's good, it's a good educational or teaching moment, because you see like, hey, there are some real consequences to your actions, like long-term consequences can be to your to your actions but i just thought that was worth pointing out. i don't know if you guys have anything else you want to say on that or maybe another verse before we hit chapter 7.
2: In 45 i found it interesting that it says they're believing in the tradition of their fathers, which is this, then it goes on to to talk a little bit about what you were you what you were saying is that they believed way back what Laman and Lemuel were always saying and it might not be exactly what the words that they have said, but it was definitely the the emotion that they passed on. and and you read back in First Nephi, uh, Laman and Lemuel complain every time, blah blah blah, Dad, we don't want to do this, Nephi, we don't want to do that, blah blah blah. And and you can read that here. It, you can see it's the same kind of well, we we're we're the victim kind of people, you know, like our, our stupid dad and our dumb brother brought us all the way here, and we lost our riches, and and they're the root of all of our problems, and blah blah blah. Said that a lot, but. um blah 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 i mean but um yeah you can just see that not only did the story pass along but the emotion pass along and and they have no reason for it i mean because it it, like you said it's it's nephi and or sorry Laman and lemuel's just uh, ignorance and pride i guess really their pride that that really passed that down not their i don't know
0: Oh, you'll, actually you'll see in generations today you'll see in people if you're not careful you'll <laughs> like I don't want to make light of that but there's there's just know that your consequences of of or the consequences of your actions may be uh, more dire more uh hard hitting than you might realize in in this moment i mean that's not ever to scare anybody into um <laughs> being more involved in church or, or taking it more seriously, but I think it's just something you should be, I don't, I don't think that scaring people is a way to, to keep people involved, <laughs> but yeah. i am just, I'm just trying to say that um, it's a real thing that, that your actions have consequences.
1: Yeah. And, and we've talked about it before about the kind of importance of parents and um, kind of passing things on to your kids and, This really goes to show that if you have hatred in your heart or you just are holding on to things that you shouldn't, you can easily pass that through to your kids and to their kids. Um, That's how you might still have racism today. You might still have sexism, all all that stuff. Um, It's not it's less on society, I think, and more on. Your individual families, on who's holding on to grudges or um, hatred and stuff like that.
2: And it goes both ways with with negative things, uh, but then positive things like you alluded. Mm-hmm. And, and like, like we have talked about before, which which you mentioned, the the testimonies and the faith pass on just as easily. and And you see that with the Nephites in this case. Is that Nephi and and Lehi and Jacob, um, all of their their testimonies of Christ passed on because they were faithful or because of their actions and
0: um, and even when Zenith does get over jealous, he knows where to go back to because he's like, okay, yeah, I know where I diverted from the straight and narrow path. I I can get back
1: to here,
2: which is which is the important part because we're mm-hmm. all going to be overzealous in some point of our lives. We're all gonna. Uh, maybe not be overzealous, but, but over something, Go, do, do something wrong. And so we need something to measure up, whether it be our parents, whether it be a good example, uh, whether it be whatever, we, we need something to measure up to. And that's where Jesus really comes in is, is that
1: he is that perfect measure. Yeah. we've talked a lot about, you know, parents and um, man, I almost just lost my thought. I had that. You almost lost your thought, or you did lose it. I, it, I could just see it leaving, my <laughs> straight out the window. Oh man, what was it? What was it? Stupid thought. Yeah, but I just won't say anything because I lost it. <laughs> That's God telling me, <laughs> giving me stop, stupid. <laughs>
0: what if we all just forgot it? everything we're doing right now? It's like, but, oh, what no. are we talking about? <laughs>
1: uh, oh, so. <laughs> We talk a lot about our parents and how you should parent and everything, but that's just because that's not to say that your children or your future children are never going to stray away. Or even if you give them a solid foundation that they won't stray away, but it is the foundation that you give them to where if they do stray away and hit rock bottom, they still know that there is something to come back to and just like the prodigal son, just having a home to come back to with open arms. Yeah. And I think uh, just keep us on track.
0: Uh, Zenith, he does that or he instructs his people in that he goes to war a few more times with the, the son of the, or the, when he moved in, the king obviously attacked him and then he dies. And then the son comes and starts to attack him and, and they hold their own. But Zenith ends his uh, record, his little chapter that we get with uh, driving them out of the land, but also instructing them to be followers of the Lord and and righteousness and and, uh, pleaded with them to uh, put their trust in God. And then he dies. Um, He goes the way of which every person must go, unless you're uh, John the Beloved or one of the three Nephites. And he goes on to the next part of eternal life. And then... Oh, comes the bad man! It's funny because uh, King Noah is like I don't know what he's just kind of the the de facto. Like think of if I said think of a lazy bad guy in the Book of Mormon, I feel like King Noah is the top of my for sure. Yeah, top of my list. Yeah. <laughs> like he's the poster child for it.
2: He's one of the. He's I mean, from one of the from besides Laman and Lemuel, he's probably the most well known right bad guy.
0: Yeah well it's like layman and Lemmy will not to make excuses for anything but we're like if you didn't believe in if they didn't believe their father they were like hey we are getting the wrong end of whatever we're getting <laughs> we're getting we're leaving everything and meanwhile kino is just like a, a a silly goose pretty much A mean yeah. silly goose. he's a silly goose he's a gander he's mean r- r- rude hmm. all the bad things he's i'm not trying to make light of him it's, he's a bad person solid <laughs>
1: we have established
0: uh you heard it here first um
2: it's and it talks about that in verse two and three um it says he did did not walk after the the commandments of god and he did walk after the desires of his own heart it said he had many wives and concubines he caused he caused his people to commit sin um and not so not only was he committing sin he was causing his people to commit sin. And uh, and do that which is abominable in the sight of the Lord, and so they committed whoredoms and wickedness, and he laid a tax of one fifth upon all that they possessed. Well, that's
1: about what we uh, that's
2: yeah, we, that's we, about we, what we get. Now,
1: so, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> uh, according to the Book of Mormon, <laughs> this is evil, taxes are
2: bad <laughs> definitely at least one fifth but it does
1: it? said that everything he took was to support himself and his wives yeah. and the concubines and
2: right the, which yeah. is uh, not, not well good yeah
0: <laughs> just the thought i wonder what uh talk radio would be like political radio would be like if uh it was around in the days of king noah Well, think of the prophets and all them like the the prophets would be the ones that call in and like be like, <laughs> hey, this is wrong, and then the guy would, the DJ or whatever, the would be like argue with them, and then he'd hang up. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. And then they talk about this how, guy
2: is wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good example.
2: Yeah, it's kind of what it sounds like nowadays, at least.
0: Pretty much. All right. Well, we covered the fact that Kino is a bad guy. Um, he also sets up priests. And his father, so he basically, uh, he takes down all the, so his father at the end of the day, Zenith, um, has ended his life obviously being a little bit more righteous, a little bit more cautious. Kind of comes with old age. He's, he's just aware of the mistakes he's made trying to fix them. And uh, he has priests in his, his kingdom and King Noah, his son, comes up, says, all right, let's get a new regime in here. Puts them down, brings up his own priest that will tell him what he wants to hear. Maybe uh, I don't know. You know, just kind of partake in the sin with him, and uh, then all it is is just the people that uh, that are wicked, because um, he got rid of everybody else. Um, the prophets come and they're and they're preaching, um, but there's one specifically that comes to light in verse uh, twenty-eight.
2: You know, and and uh, just before we get there, in verse nine, I really like. I don't really like this part, but. Uh, I think this, this should be a focus for us in the latter part of verse nine says, thus the people did labor exceedingly to support iniquity. And, you know, I think that's such a warning for us in our day. We may not have a government that you like, or maybe, you do, maybe we do, but this can be taken on an individual level as well as, are you working to support iniquity in your life? Or are you, are you supporting the mm-hmm. work of the Lord?
0: and the 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 priests speak flattery into them or they they flatter them and uh the people like what they're hearing um that's what it and until it's like well yeah you're working for iniquity but you want iniquity kind of like that you're Right. and so the yeah. whole the whole scale has been skewed into good is bad and bad is good yep um, which it says will happen already has kind of
2: yeah um in many ways it has yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Hmm, like when they got rid of the lime skittles for the green apple? Or was it the other way around? It's really a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> so Abinadi comes forth and uh, he lays down, well, he doesn't lay down the law. He speaks the law because he's not really in a position of power. And he's a messenger. His his role that he plays throughout this part of his life is uh, being a messenger from God to the people and uh, to the king. So, Andrew, you want to kick off what Abinadi kind of preaches? We, we kind of Abenadei's sermon goes on, and it's a very powerful sermon. He goes into ver- chapter eight, um, which we'll cover in the next episode. So we might not get to all of um, his sermon. We're gonna try and hit the some other things, and then probably next episode we might go back into chapter seven and pull that pull the substance or the meat out. But um, I know that Andrew had something uh, to say about. beginning here
2: yeah and and you can see across all of the scriptures that we have there are different kinds of prophets there are prophets like isaiah and jeremiah who are just like guys you guys are dumb and and words of of warning and of destruction and and and, i don't know just woe be unto you kind of thing and then there are are different kind of prophets like um Well, Jesus is probably the best example in which his words often aren't very, you guys are all going to die kind of words, and and they're more in a positive light. And we see here that Abinadi is one of those that's like, woe be unto this people for God has seen their abominations and their wickedness and their whoredoms, and except they repent, I will visit them in mine anger, kind of. And and that's kind of his his style, I guess, if if you will, as a as a prophet. And that really continues for quite a bit part of this chapter. And I think it's necessary, especially with a king who's so willfully imposing his will and um, and iniquitous deeds in his kingdom. Uh, I think at some point that's necessary. Whether we need that today, it might be left up to an individual basis. I don't know. But we see that with Abinadi here, and it really continues. We talked a little bit about 31 and 32, which I just read a little bit part of before the podcast, Sam and I said something about it. And verse 32, and except they repent and turn unto the Lord their God, behold, I will deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And then through 39, he's really just laying, keeping it on him, that kind of, kind of thing. And you had something in, in thirty. Um, 37 that you thought was kind of interesting
0: there oh uh 37 and this isn't much to do but this is gives some explanation he says uh except they repent in sackcloth and ashes and re- cry mightily into the lord um, which speaks to how we should repent and and the reason this is important that abinadi tells them this is that he tells them specifically um, how they should repent and so the people do not have an excuse on, on uh, repent, <laughs> repenting because they know how they're supposed to repent, and I'll go into a little bit on that. But also to that point, when when you're sharing with someone, whether that be a sermon, maybe it's just in class, maybe you teach a class, maybe you're just talking to a friend or a neighbor, um, it's very important that you give them an avenue to fix their, fix what they're doing, or to to get back on track. Or otherwise, it's kind of like, hey. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna go to hell, or you you know you got something bad come to you because you're you're doing bad things, and then just leaving, and they're like, well, I don't know how to fix it. So anyway, to that point, I think it's important to keep keep the avenue. You you got to be able to instruct people or or have some insight on on how they should do things. Um, but sackcloth, um, we often associate it with repentance, just because it's brought up again and again. Uh, but it's a sign of mourning or submission. There's a story in 1 Kings, it's uh, chapter 20, and it's verse 31, but it talks about the king of Israel, and he is going forth, and he's um, conquering his people, and the servants tell each other, they say, we're going to put on sackcloth, and we're going to go out and meet the king, because sackcloth, sackcloth is a sign of submission, and saying, hey, uh, we surrender, we know our place. If you think about the Nephites, and how often they were like wearing fine clothing and stuff, and how often that contributed to the pride circle they were always in. <laughs> like It was like they'd get blessed and then they'd get fine clothing and then they were lifted up in pride. Uh, sackcloth was like, hey, this is nothing. I am the lowest of the low. And the ashes is... One, this is this is not an in-depth study. This is probably just... This is mostly Google and uh, RestoredGospel.com and other things put together. But the ashes... Were a, a sign of of death, obviously, and the price uh, or the cost, sorry, the punishment of sin being death. Knowing that you are nothing, knowing that you you messed up, and uh, and also um, in Genesis, when in chapter three, verse twenty five, when it talks about when God is talking and He says, you know, I created you from dust, and to dust you're going to return. Saying, I am not on your level, God. When you're repenting, I am the lowest of the low, I am the dust. Just like you said, you created me from. And so that's where the sackcloth and ashes in comes in, but it's important when you, when you say, okay, how are, how am I repenting? Um, it's not a, it's not a like, okay, I'll stop it. It's a complete submission of like, God, I have messed up. Um, I am the lowest. Uh, you are righteous and you are almighty. And I am sorry. I used to work with a guy who he'd have this phrase and he just, he just had fun, but he was like, we were in high v, So it was all grunt work, but he was like, there's the people beneath me, the people that I manage. Then there's the, the chickens that, uh, we butcher. And then there's the grass and then there's the dirt. And then there's, you, you know, just as a joke, but it was like, I often think about that when it's like lowest of the low, like <laughs> you gotta, it's true humility when you're like, okay, I'm covered in sackcloth and ashes. So that was my point with Abinadi telling the people how to repent.
2: Well, and and the key with repentance in this case isn't the sackcloth. Like you said, it is that submission. Mm-hmm. It, it it's the sincerity. Because when Jesus comes to the earth and, and to the people of Israel, he he preaches against those people that were repenting in the streets and we weeping and wailing and, and, and making a show because the point wasn't, oh, he has sackcloth on. That means he's righteous. He, he That means he's close to God. It's the sincerity part. It's it's the submission, like you were saying. And, and so, we might not have <laughs> sackcloth to wear when we repent or when we fast or, or anything, but we do have the same sincerity or the, the same availability for sincerity. And, and that's what we
0: should be having here. So, he's, he's obviously preaching um, repentance. Did you want to touch on the anger thing or did you already touch on that?
2: No, not really. In um,
0: verse thirty-one,
2: yeah, in, in thirty-one, it talks about uh, I will visit them in mine anger.
0: The Lord speaking, um, right? Or Abinadi speaking for the Lord,
2: right? And and uh, I, I was just going to throw that question out there. What What do you think of when I mean? Because I feel like that that topic, when I have heard it explained by other people, I'm just like what is what is God's anger to you? It's often not a satisfactory answer for me. What do you What do you think about that? God's anger. What's he angry at and why?
0: Well, if you want to wrap in the the scripture that we have in the Doctrine and Covenants, not to use that so much as a crutch, but, and also it's just one verse. So you want to flesh it out more, but obviously the not confessing his hand and all things. And it comes down to, I, I think not acknowledging God as God. I do think, well, anger is an emotion and, uh, and God puts, when he created us, he put we're made in his image. And there's a lot of things that he attributes that he kind of has that we have, although we are not perfect in the sense that we act in perfect, <laughs> perfect emotion. But obviously, I think there's some things that come from anger that uh, that's kind of hard to describe without connecting the human actions to it. And and the thing that I get the most out of when I discuss anger is Captain Moroni. Um, specifically when he tears his coat in anger. And um, and that leads him to write the 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 title of Liberty to go marching through the streets. And this is in Alma 21, so we haven't got there. And we're, we're going to cover it again, I know, because Captain Ramon sweet, coolest guy in the scriptures, besides for Jesus. but um, And I know I'm not answering your question. But anger to me was like a the pure form of anger is like a passion at a a very fierce passion against something, I think. And you get into the, well, the human side is like, well, are you going to react in anger? Because if you react in anger, you're not going to do what you want to do. The thing about God is he's always perfect and he's always doing exactly what he wants. So even in his anger, his judgments are just also because he loves us so infinitely much that anger might be against, well, that anger is against our sin. And so he's always going to be doing what is in our best interest to bring us back to him in his anger. So when I, when I read, um, the anger of the Lord is kindled or visit them in my anger to me, that says there's like a, (laughs) a storm brewing that is going to hit you pretty hard due to your sin. And, uh, and the reason the storm is coming is because it it needs or he needs to turn you back to him. That's what I get. That probably didn't answer your question. That's probably not any better than any other answer you've heard. But it's a tough question to separate human anger because it's so tied to um, emotional response, which is unmeasured and often not in the right. It's often bad because um, it involves hitting your sibling or, uh, <laughs> I don't know, but yelling at someone or your spouse or just shutting down stonewalling. I'm going to let Jason jump in here because I've
1: talked a lot and I haven't gotten anywhere closer to the answer. (laughs) Um, So what I'm thinking right now, and I haven't really fully established my thoughts is I think it could be rather simple where here we have King Noah, who is sinning a lot, who is, very happy with the iniquity that he is committing a lot. A lot of these people love the sins that they're committing. And that's a very natural thing for humans. And the scriptures tell us that a natural man is an enemy to God. And I think enemies definitely will anger you. Um, Cause you, God hates sin. God hates when people are not in his presence by the decisions that they make. And I don't think all sin just makes God sad. I think there's other emotions that come with seeing your people also affect other people to cause other people to sin. And that can be very infuriating, I think. Um, when you're an all powerful being and but you've given humans agency and you just see them kind of destroy each other and it's like that's my creation like i know what you're made for yeah i I think that would warrant an angry response but um that's kind of a rudimentary thought i've had you also have um god being a
0: perfect god of justice and, uh, also in that you have a perfect God of mercy, but, and I'm not going to say this as eloquently as probably Corey Stark would on Mr. Gospel. I might just butcher this part, but there's times when, um, justice is, um, well, justice is, is completed in the form of, of Jesus Christ, like that we all sinned and that we all need, we all fall short. And so we need someone who took that. Punishment of of death for us, and uh, and he is justice. Like that's the fulfillment of justice, and the fact that Jesus took um, our place. But then you also have people who just flat out deny that mercy, deny that justice. So I don't know. Maybe I just opened up a whole can of worms. But I think about also the people of in Third Nephi before the destruction comes. I was trying to find it when the prophets were going among the people and they stoned them and they killed all the prophets. And after the destruction, God says it's because of the, the blood of the prophets that was spilled on this land has been crying for vengeance. Um, and I, and it is done in the term of destruction. So there's like this, I don't know if he even mentions anger. So now we're down a rabbit hole with a can of worms, but maybe we can feed the (laughs) rabbits. Rabbits don't eat worms. Have you ever fed one? (laughs) <laughs> I don't even know where we go. <laughs> um so you had God giving or obviously those people denied just like King Benjamin said we're all baggers in the in the eyes of the Lord because we all need them. and you had those people who just flat out destroyed people's lives um the prophets' lives stoned them killed them with animal or had them massacred by animals just did all manner of bad stuff and there was not justice until those people basically suffered the same fate as those those prophets. And in that, you have a perfect loving God, which is very hard for us to understand and, and to see. So, what do you think about that?
2: I like both of those answers. And to, to what Jason said, I, I do think it makes God angry when we aren't with him. But I think it's important to clarify that he's not angry at us. He's angry at the thing keeping us away from him, even though we're choosing it he's still mad at it. And I, and I think the example that I'm going to is from John chapter 11 with Lazarus. Um, I was listening to a sermon by, I think we've talked about him before, Timothy Keller, Sam and I were actually. And he talks about um, how when he sees Mary, he weeps with her. And in 33, it says, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And you look at the Hebrew of this word and it's like a, it, it, it translates to like a the groan, sorry. And it translates to not just a ugh kind of thing. It it's a primordial like rage. Like it this was deep within him and it and it was tearing him apart. And he asks the question, you know, what is he? What is he troubled with? What? Why is he troubled with Mary for caring so much? Is he troubled with Lazarus for being dead? Is he troubled with uh, fill in the blank? No, he's he's troubled at death. He's angry at death for for keeping Lazarus away from people that he loves. You know, and I and I think that's important as well when tying in what you said, Sam, about justice and mercy. Is that those people in Third Nephi?
0: Um it's third Nephi four and then it there's a few cities that are listed because there's a lot of destruction. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the reference.
2: Um and those people. Whoa. Um sorry. Those people were were sick. And you can be mad at people because they're sick, um, or you can be mad at the sickness. And and God is mad at the sickness, and so he he causes something to come in the form of destruction. Um, that gets rid of that sickness, and and so we see that you know his his anger drives him to an action, kind of like you said, but it's based upon something that is <laughs> that oh that that reminds me of you know in the line the witch in the wardrobe uh, the the movie, but also kind of in the book. But I'm I'm thinking of the one scene in the movie where. The witch and the lion, Aslan, are in the tent and they come out after negotiating terms for Edward and she's like, you better follow through with your deal. And he just roars at her and like, uh, excuse me, I am like, I am in control here. Come on. And I, I think that's such a a perfect way to describe how, how God's anger works because he's not mad at Edward. He was. He was Edmund. Edmund. I said that twice, and <laughs> oh. I didn't notice either time. Oh my goodness, Oof. Edmund. He's not mad at Edmund. He's he's mad at the the witch who was trying to deceive him. And and we see that in our life as well is that we often choose bad things, and yet God isn't mad at us ever. He he's always walking welcoming us in, as is told in the in this um, prodigal son story of the prodigal son, he's he's mad at the distractions, and, and we see that in this story especially, which causes him to to do certain things like, I don't know, that, that humble his people, which we should be darn thankful for.
1: Yeah, I, I also think, though, in this case with King Noah, that I think God definitely probably was pretty angry with him as a person, um, specifically because of his love of iniquity and the him kind of roping in other people in his sins and i think that action is what you know would make god mad at him but the thing is through all of this if noah would have just repented then all of this would none of this would happen and um you know all the rest of the story of abinadi basically and if, if abinadi just came and was like hey you gotta repent and he's like All right. Yeah, I I got it. Then, you know, God's not going to be angry with him. Like he's, he's calling him to repentance. And something that reading through this that I just noticed, well, that stuck out to me was just once initially they start, they want to kill Abinadi after his, you know, what he's saying. But then Abinadi comes back and disguises himself. And, and it still is trying to call these people to repentance and King Noah to repentance. And I think that's a good example of what God, uh, of God's patience and God's willingness to forgive. And really it's on us to repent, to experience that forgiveness because, you know, If you look at all the prophets through the scriptures, they're most are persecuted or they are going to a place that's about to be destroyed. And God loves the people so much, even the sinners, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like if any of them would have repented, he wouldn't have destroyed the city. (laughs) And um, and so he he wants you to repent and to be with him. And he's going to keep, he'll send people in your life, he'll send prophets, he'll do whatever he can so he can be with you. And I think that's awesome and a good way to um, see the the patience and the pursuit that God has for you.
0: Um, is it okay if we move on? Next verse? I well said, Jason. Yes. It's a tough, I think that's just a tough predicament, or not a d- predicament, but question, because it's hard to explain, but I think uh, mm-hmm. we got as close as we're going to tonight. <laughs>
1: um,
0: it, this is just a, a little, uh, I'll, I'll jump and forth and back and forth here. Um, verse 50, are, are they bring Abinadi, who's been preaching to the people before the priests of Noah and Noah. Um, verse 50 is when uh, King Noah, or Abinadi, tells King Noah the prophecy that anything they do to uh, Abinadi is going to happen to King Noah in the sense that he'll be like a garment in a hot furnace for he shall know that I am the Lord. And that is in uh, Mosiah nine ninety six. So we'll get to that in the next episode.
2: And it's re- repeated in um, verse 110. Yeah. That warning.
0: Yeah. Which we also see no Noah, I almost said no <laughs> <laughs> We almost see Noah give up, um, not give up, but, become a little bit afraid of, of what Abinadi is saying and the priests convince him, Hey, you're good. Stand your ground, which goes to show, uh, who you have around you can affect you, but that's not exactly where I wanted to go. I wanted to go and wrap in verse 41 with verses 65 through 68. And and this is verse 41. This is uh King Noah talking. He says, who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged of him? Or who is the Lord that shall bring upon my people such great afflictions? And then, uh, 65 through 68, Abinadi is responding to him after some questions. He says, And now, O king, what great evil thou hast done, or what great sins have thy people committed, that we should be condemned of God or judged of this man? And now, O king, behold, we are not; we are guiltless. Oh, sorry, this is not Abinadi. This is the priest I'm talking to the king. We are guiltless. And thou, O king, hast not sinned. Therefore, this man has lied concerning you, and he has prophesied in vain. And behold, we are strong. We shall not come into bondage or be taken captive by our enemies. yada, yada, yada. Here's this man. We deliver him into thy hands. Thou mayest do it with him. What seemeth good. And this is a very obvious, like, I don't even, this is as clear example as you can get of judging other people based on the standard of men, um, not on the standard of God. It does not get more obvious than this guy says we've sinned, but. Hey, it'd be like if I was like if someone said, "Hey, you're sinning," and then I went up to the guy who was sinning with me and said, "Hey, what am I doing wrong?" Like honestly, what are we doing wrong? You know, and it's just this complete slap in the face of what true humility or repentance or looking at yourself authentically is, because through this, the priests convinced Noah, they convinced the people that they're fine because they're judged by themselves. And it's very hard to get an accurate representation of what you actually are sinning of or what you need to repent of if all you're doing is asking yourself that or asking other people who think and act just like you. And so when I when a um, starts speaking truth, it's pretty offensive to him and it's pretty uh pretty shocking, I guess. You guys have anything in regards to that or I'm I'm done after that that versus I, I uh, I'm going to try and pull some stuff from seven, the meat. Cause he, he has a lot into the next few chapters when he gives his sermon. But um, do you
1: guys have anything on that? I think this just goes to show that depending on the state of your heart, if you are very defensive of what you're doing and if you are um, hating those who are calling you to repentance, then you really got to evaluate your heart and what what you value. Because if you're valuing the sin in your life, then it's going to be really hard for you to hear that that needs to be gone. And if you love your sin too much, then you're going to start serving that master and not God because you you serve what the desire of your heart is. And so, that's, that's such a huge message of the Book of Mormon. And we say it, almost every episode of following Christ requires a change of heart. And once you have that change of heart, you will have immense joy and being in the presence of God.
2: I liked um at the very end of the chapter, it's kind of a benedized response to the priests who were like, hey Noah, what what are we doing wrong? What are you doing wrong? We're we're fine. Um he just kind of responds and is like, uh you remember those commandments we got? The those ten, yeah, you're breaking all of them. <laughs> That's what you're doing wrong. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: let's let's save the rest of and there's a lot of it because they actually ask him a question, but to me it doesn't make much sense to ask the question and not have the answer in this episode because they ask him about a specific verse in Isaiah. Um, and we'll we'll touch on that in the next episode. But we want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, we again want to we'll say it every time. We're happy to read any comments, criticism, questions. Uh, request to be a guest, request, share a talent. <laughs> uh, if you want to write an opening song for us, cause we've just been cycling through them you just you know, every time we record like, Hey, he's got a good song we can use. And and that's how, why it kind of goes back and forth. Um, if you got a song that you want to have featured in there that let us know next episode, we'll go over Mosiah chapters eight, oh again. Yeah, sorry, post, um, Mosiah chapter 7, probably 8 and 9, which we have referred to on our schedule as X Men uh, Origins Alma. So um, that'll kick off the, the adventures of Alma the Elder, and we're excited to get to that. But thank you guys very much for listening. Also, in the next episode, Andrew will give us his analogy of the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the Tree of Life as fruits next. So we're for looking God. forward to that. Thank you. God bless.